Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and we have somehow miraculously made it to another Friday. I am not totally sure how it happened, but I'm also just not going to think about it too hard. (laughs) Normally, we like to look back at the stories we loved over this past week. However, this is very much like entirely only election week. And I just got to say, if you came here for election results, I am very sorry. Nerdette is not going to be breaking any news for you on this front. But because everything is so uncertain, we thought it would be a good opportunity to just like stop and take a breath and check in with two great humans about this very weird moment. Joining us today is the aggressively delightful comedian Nagin Farsad, host of the podcast Fake the Nation. Hey, Nagin. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello. Hello. And our other guest today is Clay Masters, who's lead political reporter for Iowa Public Radio. Hey, Clay. Hey, thanks for having me on. Okay, so Clay, we are talking right now on the Thursday after Election Day. You have been covering Iowa for the last, like, forever years of eternity. (laughs) Um, Do you know offhand when the 2024 caucuses are? The 2024 caucuses, I mean, they've kind of already started, right? I mean, because... uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. These answers are making me want to throw up. Continue. Well, uh, you you remember the Iowa caucuses? I mean, these were in February. The Democrats were running and Republicans have already been kind of like coming here you know, just testing the water. So I, we don't need to go down that. We're trying to like de-stress right now. Right. I don't think you want me to actually follow up with any of that. Uh, it was like, as I asked Clay this question, is he like, is this the point where Clay just has a breakdown? Yeah, exactly. My head just explodes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're hanging in, I guess. So Nagin, sorry to induce a need to vomit. Like, how are you handling this? I mean, the election is a nail biter. We have been waiting to see who is going to win. Even that is probably going to be extremely ambiguous for a while. Like, how 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 you doing? Um, it's so funny because I oscillate from you know, like the yesterday I was walking into the living room and my uh, my husband had uh, like a cable news channel on, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, if you want to ever see me in this living room again, you're gonna have to turn that off. You know what I mean? So I and I was like, you need to immediately put on some sort of a nature doc, some sort of like Darren Star, Emily in Paris fair. Um, I need something that requires, you know. So sometimes I. I feel like that like please let me not know anything right now and I just mm-hmm. want to live in a, a world of ignorant bliss and yeah. then other times I walk into the living room I'm like how are you not watching the news right now <laughs> what is wrong with you turn it on you know and so I feel like I've just been all over the place and I just have to be honest with listeners that I have been eating carbs so many carbs and I'm going to just say it the gluten kind all right Ooh. so that if that gives you an indication of where I'm at emotionally that means a lot coming from Nagin Farsad folks uh, there it is <laughs> (laughs) is that's my emotional state so clay 
what about you? Are you also like oscillating between intense, like doing the math of the numbers and completely disengaging? Where are you at? Yesterday I got home after a long day. So I do, I host morning edition here as well. And so like yesterday I got home. So your job starts at what? 5.30 in the morning usually? 5 o'clock, yeah. 5 a.m. is when I start getting on the radio. And then, you know, with covering politics and everything. I mean, during... Like during 2019, during the majority of 2020, I mean, like it was just like this constant, you know, always working kind of thing. So like yesterday when I got home, I just like was looking at a tree. Like it was, <laughs> it was just like, Tell us about oh, the wow, tree. The, the leaves have started changing. Like, I, <laughs> wow. So like, I don't know. I, it, it's almost like, like, like the bird has left the, the cage and I'm just kind of like. That, that, see, I can't even make metaphors. Like, I'm, I'm just like. <laughs> like what, what does that mean? And the bird has left the cage. Is, is the is cage your... is who? And who are you the bird? Is your. <laughs> I don't know yet. I, I don't think we're going to know who the bird is until we know who the president is. <laughs> is the cage America? What? Okay. I don't know what's don't happening. Know. <laughs> One thing I've been thinking about a lot, especially over this past week, is the idea of uncertainty, right? Which I think has like played a much larger role in all of our lives since the pandemic hit. There is so much that we just cannot predict, right? I wonder for each of you, do you think this week is like, do you think that we are now just very good at like exercising our uncertainty tolerance muscles? Or do you think those muscles are completely gone because we've been holding stuff up for so long? Nagin, you are nodding emphatically. What do you think? Um, I think, well, it's interesting. The difference between the the, the last um, three days of Election Day and um, <laughs> 2016's singular Election Day, because 2016, I didn't really see it coming. And then this time around, I was like, look, guys, I'm ready for Kanye West to win this thing. We don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I was so ready for any kind of uncertainty, um, which, which hasn't made the physical symptoms go away. Like I still feel horribleness in my chest. Um, but I think it just the fact of 2016, the fact of the pandemic, the fact of the last four years that have just been just, you know, in, from a press perspective, the constant barrage of news that's been so chaotic, um, I think has led us to, yeah, not, re- you know, be a little bit more comfortable with uncertainty or just prepared for uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we've just gotten so used to the way that everything keeps coming out like a torrent. I mean, it's amazing when you let yourself like read a book or like go on a run and then you come back and you like refresh Twitter and you haven't seen something, you know, haven't seen it for an hour. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like to consume news. Like (laughs) you're not just like constantly refreshing. And it's like it it, like harkens back to this time uh, pre-Internet that like I almost like long for because it, it we've just gotten so used to how it's constant. At least I've gotten so used to just how it's just this constant fire hose of information that you just kind of start to become numb to it, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to both of you about distractions because thinking about asking you two for recommendations reminded me of a Nerdette segment we did a couple of weeks ago with a book critic for New York Magazine, Molly Young. And she talked about how during very stressful times, often we tend to seek something, content that either sort of like confirms our stressed out feelings, you know, like when you have, when you're super sad and you want to like lean into your weird emotions with like the super sappy album versus like 
listening to something to just like completely get you out of your funk. So I thought it would be fun to ask each of you for recommendations for each of those things. Uh, Nagin, let's start with you. What about when you want to just like lean into the stress and sadness? Oh, geez. When I want to lean into the stress and when sadness. You wanna lean into, let's start with that so we can end on a happy note. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I guess I just I turn on the public radio. I mean, and and the thing is, but I think public radio is, you know, NPR, WNYC, my local. You know, I think they're very um, responsible, um, and uh, and I think they do a really great job. Yeah, so there you go. But um, but I I do find that just to come to me any kind of news, sort of ever, even in you know, but specifically in the last three days, but in general, consuming news at times of the day. That that don't need to be about news, right? In the era before smartphones, you consume news at discrete times of the day when you wanted mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Now you're just sort of imbibing it all the time. I think that is when I want to lean into the darkness. I just turn on the spigot and a bunch of a torrent of news flows into my face and upsets me. Um, and even when it's good news, I still kind of can't handle it. Yeah, like yeah. not that there's re- usually ever any good news, but even then I can't really handle it. Um, which is by why, by the way, why I have totally unsubscribed from all notifications. I don't get them. So oh, things, yep. major things happen in the world. I don't know about it in, unless someone tells me or it becomes that discrete hour of the day where I check oh, something. Oh, nice. So yeah, like you don't I, get the you don't get like the push notifications. No, I don't. Like I no. don't. I don't get any of those things. I highly recommend it, which I think is probably yes. for our second question. But anyways, <laughs> it's, it's made a huge difference in my life. You know, I actually do that, too. And I was making tea this morning thinking like something crazy could be happening right now. And I just don't even know because I'm making this tea and I found it to be oddly extremely comforting. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So what about you, Clay? What is something you would recommend? And this could be like, you know, a movie or an album or anything for people who like want to like feel their feelings about these strange times. Well, I mean, like, so... It, it dawned on me earlier this year that the Radiohead album Kid A is 20 years old. Hmm. And so I was like in high school, I was 16 when that album came out. And like it represented this shift in this band that I was obsessed over with Radiohead with OK Computer. And uh, there's a book that came out this year as well uh, called This Isn't Happening by Stephen Hyden. Uh, about Kid A and like some of it is talking about how prescient those times were with you know before the internet and before you know everything seemed like this chaotic world where California is on fire and we're connected through everything and it's it's been really interesting just like to to go back to this time in my life uh, and and listen to this album read this book and kind of have these kind of parallels as to what Tom York was singing about and just the chaos and the, and the sound change that happened from 97's OK Computer to Kid A in 2000. Like, it, it's it's comforting in this weird way that almost feels like a, a apocalyptic feeling was being predicted 20 years ago. I hate... <laughs> Is that I don't leaning? even know how to respond to that, Nikeen. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's so interesting. I also think the premise of this question of leaning into the darkness with some with something, I think 
I learned from an early age after my first like breakup to just put on dance music and move past. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? For I sure. just don't actually ever do the thing that you're asking, which is my form of it is, I guess, news. But but yeah, no, re- I think news fits for that. Yeah, totally. yeah news definitely fits. But I, but but like I know people like to wallow in their feelings with an old album or something like that. That's real <laughs> sad. I just I never I'm just like, please let me out of this feeling. It's yeah. horrendous. Right. I don't right. think like, I'm wallowing, though. So what right. are you? What are you? Yeah, what are you, you like shouting? At, you're staring at trees, is what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, staring at trees. Like, like, exactly. <laughs> Analyzing each leaf. I don't know. It's just like it, it's it's nostalgia. So I mean, like it, it doesn't feel like wallowing. It feels like you know I, I was paying attention to something so closely at that age to look back on it 20 years later and see parallels to where things are now. It's just kind of it's kind of fascinating. Okay, so so let's get to some some uh, shake it off feel better recommendations. Oh, we could even recommend Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, which is excellent. Oh, that whole album. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Okay, but what do you think, Nagin? What do you got? Well, so talking talk about like going um, back to like your the stuff that you listen to as a teenager or as an adolescent. My brother's thirteen years older than me, and so he would leave some albums around. Oh, that's and I and I remember so my very very first kind of like knowledge of music was really U2 nice. and so I will go back to a U2 album and it just makes me feel like I'm nine years old like singing at the top of my lungs and feeling hopeful and feeling something about America I was a dorky 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 patriot as a child I loved American flag stuff I still do it's been sort of usurped from me but like I still really love that stuff and it's funny because there's nothing like an Irish band to bring out the ultimate patriot <laughs> wonderful like joyful youthful patriotic feeling so that's something that I kind of lean into and then in you know I mean I like I love a dumb show like I mm-hmm. love the mm-hmm. sex in the cities and I don't want to hear your think piece about sex in the city right now I'm just saying I like looking at some cute outfits and being on some awkward dates with the gals like that's just what I want to watch and that's okay I'm also a feminist everybody leave me alone let me have it teenage movies all that stuff I love that stuff yeah yeah just like candy essentially yes yes what do you think clay well, as far as watching things go, um, I like during covering an election for basically two years, I have a hard time watching like drama and serious films and, mm-hmm. and shows. So like the last four months, I've just been like binging on Seinfeld because it's like it's like this I haven't watched them for so many years and like but I know everything that's coming and it's kind of like just it's like comfort food, right? Like it's like eating a big bucket of mashed potatoes. Like it's like I, I know what's coming. Corn and crab chowder, mulligatani. Mulligatani. You're through, soup Nazi. Back it up. No more soup for you. Oh, my friends, Nagin Clay, thank you so much. This was really fun to talk with you. Oh, thanks so much for having us. I'm gonna go find that tree. <laughs> Nagin Farsad and Clay Masters, what delightful humans. Our next guest just wrote a book that I actually think is kind of the perfect recommendation for if you're looking for something right between desolate reality and utter escapism. Nick Hornby is the author of a bunch of excellent books, including most notably probably High Fidelity and About a Boy. His new book is called Just Like You. It's great. 
It's a will-they-won't-they love story about two people who are inherently very different. They get along beautifully when it's just the two of them, but they have a hard time figuring out how to exist as a couple in the world. It also takes place during another will-they-won't-they moment in fairly recent history, the vote around whether England should leave the European Union. Half the couple is a remainer, and the other is much more confused about the entire issue, which makes for a classic tale of ideologically opposed lovers trying to find a middle ground. Nick, welcome back to Nerdette. Hello. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk first about this Brexit vote, because especially leading up to the election here in the United States, I think it's a really interesting sort of backdrop for this love story. Um, We're talking about when British people had to decide whether or not to leave the European Union why did you decide to set a story in that time period? Well, I'd had the idea for this couple, or I'd been thinking about this couple in, in an abstract kind of a way for a few years. I was just thinking about the things that divide us and, and whether these obstacles were real, whether class and background and education and age were, were proper impediments to a relationship. Mm-hmm. And... Then after the referendum, when it seemed like one side of the country would never speak to the other again, I thought, oh, maybe I should start thinking about them now and writing about them now. Um, Mm. And and the two things coming together just made me want to write a book, basically. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because it's kind of the perfect literary backdrop for, for not only a confusing time, but also one where we have such convenient shortcuts for deciding what kinds of people other people are. Yeah. I think it also very clearly showed how uncertain a lot of people are about what actually the right thing to do might be, you know? Well, Brexit was quite a confusing one. Right. It seemed very clear to those of us who are liberal, um, what the right thing to do was. And I don't think it really occurred to us that anyone was thinking a different way. Hmm. And the big shock for me was going to a town outside London about three weeks before the referendum, a town Hmm. called Stoke-on-Trent, which is like so close to London. I mean, it's, it's probably less than two hours away. Hmm. And I was speaking at this literary festival and the guy who organised the festival was also the local Labour MP and he was uh, a big Remainer. And Hmm. I I was just chatting to him and I said, how does it look here? And he said, uh, I haven't met a single person who's going to vote Remain. And Hmm. I was so shocked that it was like that. Um, It was a real wake up call for me. And the way I came to see both elections, yours and ours, was... Right, yeah. Thinking about 2016, I absolutely see a lot of parallels, for sure. Yeah, and and I, I came to think of those two elections as people voting on the question, are you happy? Hmm. Uh, they didn't care what the question, you know, what you had to vote on necessarily, but I think that's what they heard. Are you happy? Hmm. And of course, most of us in London, with our nice jobs, we were happy enough. Um, we didn't want things to change too much. But if, if things are terrible for you, why would you vote to maintain the status quo? And those are some of the things that I wanted to write about in the book. Mm-hmm. So as we've hinted at, our main characters in this book are very different. We have Lucy, who's a 40-something white woman. She's got two kids. She's a teacher at a fancy school. The other is Joseph, who's a 22-year-old black man. He works at the local butcher shop. He didn't go to college. 
you yourself are a 60 something white man. How do you navigate making characters who feel authentic, who may have very different life experiences than your own? Well, um, I think about them for a long time before I start to write. (laughs) And I know them pretty well before I start to write. And once I know them, I start to look for equivalents. You know, I don't write about anyone I know. But um, once I have a character, I need to find that there's some kind of counterpart in real life. And I start Hmm. going through my mental Rolodex of 63 years of school, university, various jobs, neighbours, babysitters, whatever. And eventually I, I might think, yeah, that person is not unlike this person. That means that he or she feels a bit real to me. And then I wrote my book, and obviously, you know, both of my characters, as you say, are not me or, or like me. Right. And so then I, I get people to read and, and give me notes, people who are more like the characters in the book, mm. and I have to listen to what they say. But, of course, it's an act of faith. And one thing about writing is it's really easy to sit on your own and look at a computer <laughs> screen and think, oh, this is all right, this is all right. And, you know, people have told me since I was brave, I didn't feel brave doing it, but now I feel stupid. (laughs) My first book was a memoir, um, uh, Fever Pitch, and it was about my family. And it was really easy to write on my own, just looking at the computer. And then, of course, you see it in a bookshop and you think, oh, my God, that book's all about my family. What have I done? And that was kind of the first time that I worked out that I'd actually done something that might tread on people's toes. So mm-hmm. I think the same it, the same has been true of pretty much every book. And you since. just so you just keep putting yourself through that excruciating experience yes, yeah. over and over just again. Sheer, sheer stupidity. <laughs> and and kind of memory of a goldfish as well. <laughs> This is a book about a lot of topics that could have gotten really intense. We have racism and xenophobia, police brutality, drug addiction, to name a few. But the tenor of Just Like You is mostly sweet, is mostly light. It's 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 tender. Why did you decide to tell a story that is largely about race and class without making it have heightened tension, which I think a lot of those stories and conversations, especially right now, tend to? Well, I guess the starting point was that I didn't want it to be an angry book. Um, mm-hmm. but I specifically set out to write an optimistic book. I wanted I wanted those characters to jump over the hurdles that I put in front of them. Um, I wanted some kind of rooted optimism. I don't think it feels unrealistic to me that they jumped over the hurdles, but... Uh, I don't know. I I think that we're given an awful lot on uh, screen and in book form that is unbelievably dystopic and pessimistic. And Mm -hmm. it's particularly worrying me about young people, actually, that what they see on the news is dystopic and what they consume is dystopic. And I'm not sure Mm. how much good it does any of us. Well, and I think... I don't know. I mean, one thing I really appreciated about reading Just Like You is that it felt like such a such an antidote to a lot of the vitriol that I am hearing, you know, like it's nice to just be able to escape into a lovely story now and then. Well, I hope so. And for that lovely story actually to be set in the real world rather than right. some kind of fantasy genre world. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it feels so much like 
the point is empathy rather than divisiveness. Yeah, and I think if you imagine characters properly or thoroughly, it's quite hard to hate them. Um, I don't know many baddies in real life. Um, I know lots of pains in the arses. Um, But, um, you know, everybody has friends. Lots of people have spouses. People love them. And just because you don't doesn't mean that they're fundamentally unlovable. Nick Hornby, thank you so much for talking with me. This was really a delight. Thank you, Greta. Nick Hornby, his new book is Just Like You, and it is excellent. One more thing to help you retain your thoughts and maybe even calm your nerves in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So for this next segment, I think we should just stay across the pond and hang out over there for a while. Do you ever do that thing where you murmur along as you read or maybe you find just like the most gorgeous sentence as you're reading something and you have to read it out loud to yourself because it's just so great? Well, if you do, that's actually kind of awesome because I recently came across an article from the BBC with the headline, Why You Should Read This Out Loud. It explained the numerous previously unknown benefits of reading stuff out loud, which I loved a lot, especially as a person who kind of reads stuff out loud for her job. So I decided to call the woman who wrote it. She's a freelance reporter. Her name is Sophie Hardack. And guess what? She's here with us right now. Sophie, hey. Hello. Thank you so much for chatting with us. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Thank you. So I thought maybe we could start by having you just read the entire article out loud. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) There's no need. I know it by heart. (laughs) Having read it aloud. Prove the effect. So yeah, I want to talk about the effects. But first, I want to know how you came across this story. Well, it was one of those uh, lockdown-inspired stories. Mm. I was at home with my husband and our young son, and I found myself reading stories to my son all the time. Mm. And it made me think about, well, what's the difference? I read silently all the time. Now I'm reading aloud all the time. What difference does that make? And I found there's pretty fascinating research on reading aloud. So, yeah, what are some of the things you learned? Because there is a lot of research about it. What what were your major takeaways? Well, one really interesting thing is that we remember things better when we read them aloud. So there's this researcher, Colin McLeod, at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And he has studied what he calls the production effect. And it means that we remember words and even whole passages better if we produce them, that means to read them aloud. Now, the thing that really shocked and startled me is that this seems to be 
for example, more effective than highlighting. Huh. I'm really fond of my highlighters. <laughs> I love highlighting. Highlighting is not a very effective way of remembering things, but reading aloud is. Huh. So what about having something read to you versus reading it yourself? Does that also have significant differences? So there, the research I came across was a bit different. I think it does in terms of the memory. But what I found interesting, there was a separate research project out of Italy where uh, students read to people with Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. early onset Alzheimer's, and they found that it helped the people kind of order their memories. So that seems to be some of the benefits, I would say, that are interesting and being read to are more about this emotional, conversational, helping you order your memories, helping you sift through your memories, that kind of thing. That's so interesting. Do you, did you have a thing when you were a kid in school? In the U.S. we call it popcorn reading, where we would all read the same text together, but kids would have to take turns reading paragraphs or pages out loud. Did you have to do that too? No, and I'm really curious, like, why why popcorn reading? Well, that's a great question. I really have no idea. But the reason I ask is because it's kind of a funny icebreaker question now, because it seems like there are the sorts of people who dreaded being called on to read out loud in front of the class because it is such a performative thing and they, you know, or maybe they had like a speech impediment of some kind. It was terrifying to them. And then there were the really obnoxious kids like me who just couldn't wait to read something out loud. (laughs) I was wondering which camp you would have fallen in if you, if you had done popcorn reading. That is really interesting. I've always enjoyed reading aloud. and I think I would have been more the obnoxious, like, Oh, I love showing off, but I can also totally see the performance anxiety and I can totally see that that would have been really traumatizing to people and it would be awful right some people had horrible experiences with reading aloud at school right Mm -hmm. like uh, some i mean even those of us who do enjoy reading like we can all remember a time when it wasn't so great so i think one real takeaway is you can also read aloud to yourself i think like people do and it can be really really nice and it can be really a nice little gift to yourself You know, one of the researchers said that when we read to someone, we give them the gift of our time, of our attention, of our voice. It's actually a really beautiful thing. And you can also do that for yourself. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Well, Sophie, thank you very much for chatting with me about your story. I love it. Thank you. That was fun. Well, it's been a week. You did it. You made it. We got through it. Even if you didn't get through it the most elegantly, you still did it, which we're going to call a win. Keep hanging in there. And before we go, I want to leave you with one final profound thought from comedian Nagin Farsad. The thing is that we sort of keep forgetting about this election is that we're the same people we were on Monday as we are going to be next Monday. Um, And so no matter what the results are, we're all still here. Like I still need to change my baby's diaper and I still need to know my neighbors, right? Like those things about our lives are not going to change. So we just need to figure out how to lead better lives with our neighbors, how to know them and how to accept them and that I think is is the fundamental thing I would love for us to all sort of remember
pretty good, right? The show is produced by me and Justin Bull with our wonderful intern, Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And don't forget, we moved Book Club to Tuesdays. That means coming up in the feed this Tuesday is our interview with Victoria Schwab. Our November Book Club pick is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. I can't wait for you to read it. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.